This is The Playbook. Adam Javelin is in the house. If you don't know him, he is a hero coach, recovery mentor, and he has the hero project. I think everybody's a hero, a superhero, and we all have superpowers. Welcome, Adam. What's going on? My brother, my beloved brother, my mentor, my coach. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. I've been waiting for this day for people to gain the exposure and awareness to your genius. And, but you have saved so many lives. You know, you have the Superman logo behind you. I know a lot of people can't see it. Uh, but there's several ways that we save lives. And, you know, recovery is a huge, not only critical life issue, but it's a critical business issue. The numbers of people that are uh, in addictive uh, behaviors that are counterproductive. Uh, we talk about, you know, quiet quitting. Uh, I, I think one of the vehicles of quiet quitting today is people that are in addictive uh, behaviors uh, that are counterproductive. And, uh, you know, how did you gain the knowledge to be a hero coach, uh, to be a mentor to those that suffer from addiction? Dave, I had a spiritual experience and a spiritual awakening in a rehab center. And it's something called the parallel process. I literally saw two of me. And I, I knew one, if I jumped in, I was gonna be that angry, I'm right, you're wrong, obsessive compulsive alcoholic addict that needed his way. And the other one, I didn't know what he looked like. I didn't know if he had to wear a yarmulke, if he had to be baptized. I didn't know if he, he had to like, get all, take, give all his money away and wear a robe, but I knew he was sober. And I jumped into that Adam. And in this process, I fell in love with a new life. And little by slowly, one day at a time, one month at a time, one year at a time, it became attractive. So I started helping people in town. Then I started helping celebrities. And I started helping athletes. And I started helping people in Congress and in Washington. So when it was time to do the coaching, which, by the way, which is when we met and when I called you for advice, help, guidance, coaching, is when the hero project exploded. I take people on their hero's journey. But just because I'm the mentor and guide to others doesn't mean that I don't need a mentor and guide, which is why I hooked up with you. You know what I mean? That's part of being humble. Yeah, and I know Amelia was just talking about that before that we got on here is she has 11 mentors. You know, my mentorship is always based off of finding someone that sits in the situation I want to be in and ask them for mentorship. Um, <clears throat> through that, though, you know, when you're dealing with addicts, there's more than just mentorship, right? I always find that business mentorship is the easiest thing that I do uh, because I'm just explaining all the dummy tax I paid and what if I could go back as a Monday morning quarterback in business, you know, I'm just sharing situational knowledge and relationships. That's the easy part. But to be a coach and a teacher is much more difficult. You know, teaching requires you to be an expert at the subject matter. So you can't just say, oh, you know, do asset-based lending. You gotta be able to answer the next question, like what the F is asset-based lending? Uh, or, you know, even more difficult, I believe, is what a hero coach does, uh, especially in the hero project with addicts, is how do we bring the best out of people, right? A coach brings the best out of people. You need to be all three in the hero project. You need to be all three to be a hero. For you, number one, which one's the most difficult? And with that most difficult one, what do you do in order to be the best that you can be at that most difficult characteristic? So I talk about this often with our brother, our mutual brother, Mike Diamond. 
right? For me, what I do with my clients, Dave, is I actually have to hyper-focus on their story. So let's say their causes and conditions right in the beginning and the spiritual, not the physical, not the mental. The, the physical and the mindset will come. But if I can start focusing on their spirit and we get right, we start getting right spiritually, then they're going to start taking the proper actions of taking care of the body. Then they're going to start taking care of the, you know, the mindset and that winning mentality. And you and I both know the mindset is something that you got to keep learning, keep growing, keep seeing. But we start focusing on there's something much bigger going on here, much bigger. So now let's participate with that energy. Let's participate with that vibration. Or as you and I say privately, let's participate with God and get you going. Then my job is I'm a real coach. Right, I'm, like you are with me. I'm checking on them. I'm texting them for accountability. I'm not making sure they text me. I'm texting them. I'm pouring into them. I'm pouring into their cup, and eventually, they start pouring it back. And last question before I take one from you, because I know you have a topic you want to discuss with me. Um, but you know, it's interesting. I'm blessed to have a wait list of people that want to work with me. And it allows me to qualify those people. And I couldn't do that at first, right? I had to work with some people. If I was going to be a coach, I needed to have as many clients uh, that I could take to learn from them. And as you grow and learn yourself, you can create a, a qualified one. But the one thing I learned, which I also uh, gained awareness of by working you know, with Lee Steinberg, who is an admitted uh, uh, recovery uh, addict, um, was that there will be no change unless the person wants it. And, and I look for that number one, uh, before I even look at capability, when I take on a client is that, do they really want it? Because what people do is sometimes they're really looking for a coach to be a scapegoat, not a coach, meaning that they want to be able to say, Hey, I'm going through the motions I'm going the extra mile every once in a while. And then they use the coach and the coaching uh, to basically justify blame and live in shame why they're not where they want to be. See, it's a re if you're fairly successful, you're an addict or whatever, it's, it's really easy to hire a coach. And then when you're not where you want to be, oh, but I hired Adam Jablon. I'm still drinking. I'm still doing drugs. It's Adam's fault. He's not a good coach. It's not a good program. It, you know, and it's, you know, very important. Uh, and I understand growing a business when you need clients, you, you take ones that aren't well suited and, and you try your best to get them to change or want to do it. But, you know, having that luxury, how important is it to identify that somebody is ready for change or willing to change and, and willing to do the work instead of just looking for a scapegoat? Dave, in the beginning, it's everything. The only difference between what I do, right, as a hero coach compared to, let's say, some other, you know, if it's physical coach or mindset or what, you know, what, is all I need is a little crack in the window. Just a little, I don't need a huge one. I just need a little sliver of hope and I'll be the one to break that through, right? So if I see a little crack and a little sliver and I, I see their defense mechanisms come down, and I see them start making eye contact with me, and I see them really answering the questions from their heart and not their head, I got it. Now I can work with them. If that defense mechanism up, they don't want to hear it, no matter how much the client is worth. If I can't work with them, I can't work with them. Yeah, exactly. All right. What do you got for me, my friend? All right. So 
this is more for a personal, this is a personal thing that I think will help a lot of people. I tend to, David, when things go a little astray, be it maybe something with my kids, something uh, in business, something with you know, past relationships, I can allow my emotions to take over. And once I get into my emotions, I want what I want when I want it. I want to hear back from somebody. I want, I want everything to be okay. I want you, right? So, and I know you've really mastered the art of, of letting go and, and allowing things to happen and, and, and allowing the universe to happen with a proper, proper mindset and focus and faith. Well, I'm in it a little bit right now. So if you could talk to me directly and then everyone else can hear in on like how, how it's, when you're really going through it, when you get the news that you don't want, what, what does it look like and how do you detach? I love it. So it's really interesting that you at least have identified that you're getting uh, feedback or results that you don't want, right? So when we get feedback results that we don't want, the number one thing is to tell ourselves that that is which I think I don't want. Because as we know with faith, that which we don't think we want ends up being promoting and protecting always. And so what I utilize is the identification of fear within the context of accountability. What do I mean by that? So anytime you have that obsessive compulsive, things are not like I want them to be right now, <laughs> right? Which is a biochemical genetic and energetic inheritance that you and I both share that I want it the way I want it right now. Yeah. Um, we have to then utilize some skills to understand what's going on. So no, number one, inherent in that behavior, in that feeling, the uh, emotion you called it, the energy and motion is called a feeling. Well, within the context of that feeling is fear. And fear can be utilized in two ways. One, fear is utilized, and I'm sure you do this when you have a sliver of light within the context of a crack in a window, fear can be utilized to get us up, get us started, get us back started and get us back up. And it requires a lot of fuel. It requires a lot of emotion to get up, get back up, get started and get back started. In fact, I use an analogy of a rocket ship that a rocket ship going to the moon, 90% of the fuel is in the first takeoff to get out, out of the atmosphere. 90% of the fuel, same thing with human beings. 90% of your fuel uh, is used to get up, get back up. And what we want to do is maximize our fuel by number one, when we feel this emotion, to identify the fear within the emotion, the feeling. And if we can identify a need to be right, a need to be offended, a need to be superior, inferior, a need to be in control, a need to feel guilty or shameful, a need to be angry, anxious, frustrated, worried, or guilty, all in the context of the emotions, the energy and motion that are defined as feelings. If we can identify it, then we can say, okay, am I going to use this to get up? Am I going to use this anxiety to get me up, to get me started? If not, the most efficient, effective, and statistically successful way to use that fear, the most productive, accessible and gracious way to find the light, the love and the lessons in the emotion is to get out of the goddamn way. Yeah. You utilize it. And so what do we do when we identify the utilization of fear and we decide that we're going to use it to get out of our way, 
we then stop. We don't resist it. We don't force it. We don't go over it, under it, through it, around it. We don't try to outlogic it, outanalyze it. We don't try to change it or control it. We don't lie to it. We don't manipulate it. We don't cheat it. And we definitely don't deny it. Guess what? You simply stop. And you breathe through your nose and out through your mouth. And you remind. You remember. You recollect. Remember, what are we reminding to? Oh, that's right. The collective, the source. What are we recollecting with? Oh, the source. What are we remembering from? Oh, the source, the oneness of all. And so when we remind, remember, and recollect, what is it that we want? What's most important to us? Who can we help with what we want and who can help us? I'm going to repeat that. Who can we help and who can help us? Because the fastest way to have a probability in your life is to help someone get their probabilities and to have someone help you with your probabilities. That's why this mentorship is so important. And then we can deal with the how, the now, and apply the why. So what I want you to do is I want you to get in the practice of understanding, I feel this emotion, identify the feeling, and look for the fear within the feeling. And I call it accountability. Remember I talked about reconciling accountability. What is accountability? It's two things. What am I doing to participate in this feeling? What am I doing to participate in this perception? Yeah. And two, what am I supposed to learn from it? The learning comes from the identification of the fear that is within the emotion because the fear will either be a benefit to us in the survival context of the uh, amygdala of our brain to survive, to get up, get back up, to run, to eat, to fornicate, to survive. Or most of the time, most of the time with people that are more advanced and evolved, the real benefit is to get the F out of our way by yeah. stopping, dropping, and rolling. The, the, the thing that I use, Adam, real quick before we uh, get to kiss each other goodbye, um, it, it's really funny. I, I have an indicator to identify fear, and I call it fire. Because when the stuff is not happening like I want, when my wife says something that pisses me off, or my kids have me terrified about something because they tell me that, hey, dad, I'm making so much money, I wanna quit college. I'm like, you're a senior with straight A's. You know, like pa panic is what that is, right? Yeah. So I call that fire. And when I'm on fire, when I'm in the ego-based consciousness, I know my mind, my body, and my soul are on fire. So I remind myself with the utilization of fear, what am I going to do? If I'm going to use the fire to give me a little bit of extra adrenaline to get up, get back up, to run the F away, to eat, whatever it is to survive, or am I going to use this fire to stop, drop, and roll the way everyone teaches when we are on fire? So, you know, two things to do when you're on fire. You run away from it with extraordinary adrenaline to get up, get away, et cetera, or... If you're on fire, stop, drop, and roll, my friend. Utilize uh, that identification to know who we are. Everyone has it. You are happy, healthy, wealthy, and worthy. What are you doing to interfere with it? The incredible Adam Jablin. If you want to join the Hero Project, if you want to be a hero, if you want to help others become a hero, just go to adamjablin.com. He is a speaker, a mentor, a coach. 
He is one of my best friends, and I've been waiting for literally years now to have you come on and share your genius with everyone else. Thank you so much. I love you, brother. Thank you for the advice. You know I'll take it and fucking run with it. <laughs> I love it, man. You're the best. I love you, brother. Adam Jablin, there is no better except for maybe our next guest. We'll find out. All right, this next guest is a special one. Uh, this guy is famous. Uh, and, you know, it's so funny because if anyone would talk about personal branding, uh, whether you're, you know, Warren Moon's business partner or Lee Steinberg's CEO, uh, you never thought you would be the guy. Well, this is the guy. This is the guy, Ken Vu. Uh, he's the founder of Vu MD Performance. It's a has a longevity clinic, so I can't think of uh, Ken anything more valuable than giving life <laughs> extension to people. Uh, you know, I always talk about you know health is my non-negotiable because if you're healthy, you get as many wishes as you want. But I, I always forget to tell people one critical component of health: if you're healthy, you're alive. <laughs> Right. So not only do you get more than one wish a day, if you're healthy, you actually get longevity, you get to stay alive. And uh, you have an acceleration course to thrive, uh, the Thrive State Accelerator. Yeah. Um, you are an extraordinary doctor, but you're also a personality. Dude, you're, you're in my opinion, right? You're, you're the next Dr. Oz. Uh, not everybody can see him because we have some audio and some video uh, platforms are on. But this guy, he does it all, you know, in your wildest dreams, Doc. Did you ever think that when you were in med school suffering, and I know because my roommates were in med school, yeah, wanting to be a doctor as your mommy and daddy probably dreamed of for you, uh, that you would get to do the things that you do today? Well, I would probably say, yes, it wasn't my wildest dreams. And if you don't know, I think you know, you know the story. I was actually not born in America. I was a refugee born in Vietnam. We, we left in the Vietnam War. We spent eight months on a boat, three months in a Philippine refugee camp. And I remember growing up as a kid, watching TV and going, wow, I really want to do that at some point. And yes, I, I, I followed my mom's advice, went into medicine and all of that, but there was still that lingering fire to do something, to use my voice for something, and here we are. And what about the fact that, you know, we were talking about sometimes pain is an indicator to be in a better mm -hmm. place, a better situation. And I was with a guy named Colin Brady who wrote a book lately called The 12-Hour Walk. He's a New York Times bestseller. He's really good friends with Jesse Itzler. And he talks about you need some ones and twos in your life to experience nines and tens. And too many mm. people just want fours and fives. Obviously, you had some ones and twos from the Vietnam War. You had some mm. ones and twos if anyone's ever seen a refugee camp, let alone lived in one. How much impact did the ones and twos have on your life uh, to have those nines and tens? Oh, my God, Dave. The, the ones and twos still still show up. The ones and twos show up with threes and fours all the time. And it is definitely in those moments that you build grip, that you build resilience. There was there was a uh, there was a one incident with my daughter uh, when she was born. She was born with a cord wrapped around her neck. And I wasn't sure if she would be able to make any choices. And I really remember at that time wanting to react. There was that moment where I was like, screw the hospital. Maybe I should have went to Cedars. Uh, screw this doctor. Um, and I really wanted to, to, to react. And I was like, how is this happening for me? I've done the work. I know that everything in life happens for a reason, for a gift. And I remember holding her in my arms. She was in the ICU. She had a tube down her nose, a tube down her mouth. And I was just looking down at her. 
And in that instant, when I looked down at her, I was like, oh my God, you know, brain damage or not, if she had this situation, she is still just absolutely perfect and so worthy of love. And one of the things when I grew up as a refugee, as, as a child, you know, I never thought, I had those stories of not enough, not rich enough, not tall enough, not American enough, all these things. And when I held her in my arms at that moment, so much of that not enoughness washed away. But it was only after experiencing that, that painful one or two that I had that realization and can really enjoy life. So uh, I, I think that those are very important. There's no yin without the yang. So I don't believe you could feel that 10 if you never know, knew what a one was. I, I, I absolutely love the way you describe, describe that. But there, there's another thing that happens uh, when we start putting ourselves out there as coaches, mentors, speakers, and brands. And it's hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and let me explain that. You know, I, I tell everybody that my health is my non-negotiable uh, and that I give a minimum of an hour a day on, on my health. Um, but yet, you know, I'm probably about, I don't know, 10 pounds overweight. Uh, but I do a lot of things for my health. You know, I'm extremely healthy. I have a, a, a concierge doctor. I do blood tests. I work out every day. I stretch. I have balance. But my biggest challenge in health is, is nutrition. So I'm carrying between five and 10 pounds extra at all, at all times because I haven't mastered that yet. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't wanna diminish my capacity um, in my expertise of mindset, heart set and handset, just yeah. because my, I myself am human as well. I see doctors uh, all the time uh, in the hypocritical, not oath, but state meaning mm -hmm. some of them are the most unhealthy people that I've ever met, mindset, yeah. mindset, and handset-wise. Yeah. You, on the other hand, are the epitome of health. You really walk the, <laughs> you walk, the walk. Now, there's some other areas, maybe in business or branding or marketing, yeah. that, that you, you still need help and mentorship, the same way I need nutrition, mentorship, or help uh, as well. Um, how do we, as brands, mm -hmm. communicate that we're still not perfect in all areas that, look, I can help you with this, but maybe you actually could help me with my nutrition or maybe you could help me with my marketing or something else. I think people want a, a one-stop shop when it comes to a brand <laughs> or a mentor or a speaker. I, I think you were just talking about, you know, uh, with, with uh, another one of the coaches and you said you had like, you know, people have 10, 11, 12, 15 mentors sometimes because you want to go to the best to, to, you know, get that help in your life. And to answer your question about, you know, how do you be that brand? I think it's all about authenticity. You know, people, people could see and feel you. And if you're out there saying, you know, I'm the guru in this, you remove the human out of you. You know, I was a guy six years ago, overweight, diabetic, high blood pressure on prescription medications, um, and I'm doing the work. And as I'm doing the work, there are also times I fall back and I think, to show people that, to let people know that, to let people know that there's a human in, in there battling some of their own demons and their old programming, and that's a part of the process to grow. I think people can see that and can truly relate with that. So I think I think it's really about um, being very authentic about who you are and not trying to boast uh, to be somebody you're not. And you know, changing your mind a lot of times, especially for doctors that are you know right brain people they have a, a lot of analytics and information 
that they have to utilize in order to save lives. Um, to be able to, uh, you know, utilize the creativity side of it to, to have and to practice a different muscle. When I, I'll tell you, my oldest brother was a doctor. And when I went to college, you know, not only did he tell me be more interested than interesting, but he also gave me another great piece of advice. He said, David, you need to become educated, not well-trained. And a lot of doctors are well-trained. And mm -hmm. you are someone that is extremely well-trained, but you also uh, are anomaly in the fact that you are very well-educated. You're more interested than interesting. Uh, you have uh, an intuition and an intelligence that goes beyond the anatomy that you learned or the ochem or the biochem uh, that you were forced or loved to study. I don't know which one. Um, it, you're a sickle if you loved it, but good for you. Uh, but more, <laughs> more importantly, you know, this dynamic of intuition and intelligence of being well-trained versus educated, um, how have you been able to have that weighted balance? Because you're a leading doctor, but you also are, are extremely well-versed in a variety of applicable, realistic, common sense type of application to life. Well, I, I have to say that, um, you know, it was after having a one and two, it was after getting chronic disease that I knew all the hours that I placed in one lane and trying to learn that. And I, and I recall, you know, I, I was trained in the National Institutes of Health, the Howard Hughes Medical Institute, UCLA, became section chief of my hospital. Yet I still got diabetes. I was still overweight. I didn't know that. And I, and it was, and I really remembered there was a lot of ego that was in, in that space. But, you know, getting disease myself and actually being gifted with the worst year of my life made me wake up to, to make me think, okay, I have to take a be beginner's mindset in all these other things, in shamanism, in nutrition, in epigenetics, in how we live our life, that I started to take on more. And that, that's the whole thing, is to have that beginner mindset in each one of these categories of life that you, you, you just don't know yet. And only then you start to grow. Otherwise, you, you're stuck in a lane, and uh, that wasn't working for me. Yeah, it doesn't work for anyone, by the way, and being able to not only uh, be well-trained, but to be a fast learner uh, and apply the skill set of learning to a variety of other subject matters that can complement our synergistic supplementary to a holistic, as you listed out the different areas in which you've expanded to, to be not only physically healthy, spiritually healthy, mentally healthy. Uh, so really understanding the holistic approach of the human energy, as you yes. stated, from epigenetics to genetics to conscious, subconscious, and unconscious uh, well-being and competencies that we have. Um, do you have a question for me? I know we do a lot of work together. Yeah. More on the more on the branding and marketing side of how to take such an exceptional individual like yourself and raise the awareness or frequency of your brand. Uh, what question do you have for me? Oh, well, absolutely. I've got, a, you know, an excellent question. I know you do a lot of events. I'm very fortunate to be a main stage speaker next week at the biohacking conference. There's going to be a lot of people, uh, Vishen Lakiani, the Mind Valley, Dave Asprey, everybody knows. I'll be sharing the stage with them. So two questions. One has to do with networking. The other one has to do with, you know, really putting yourself in a position to serve when you're there. Um, I don't know about you, but here's some authentic part. I'm going to open up my cape and let you know that there's still parts of me that, that, that think of 
the imposter syndrome. I know there's thoughts as the event comes up, oh man, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't, you know, I'm, I don't belong with all these greats that, that are going to be up there. Um, I have my own process of dealing with it. It does still come up, but how do you best prepare yourself when you're going speaking to lots of people to deliver value and to get out of your head? You know, I think it's any circumstance that, uh, you know, we have to make ourselves equal before we make ourselves better. Um, and so understanding the better practiced we are, uh, that has nothing to do with Dave Asprey, who's a friend of mine, who, by the way, I'm going to make sure that I reach out to to tell him to personally uh, meet you while you were there. Um, but it has no, it's like pole vaulting. You know, I could be with Sergey Bubka, who holds the world record in pole vaulting and who can clear over 20 feet. And I may be a division three champion at, you know, 15 feet, nine inches. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I get on a track with Sergey Bubka, right, I'm there to do my best, learn lessons and have fun. And if I do my best by being prepared and I learn lessons and have fun doing it, what more could I ask for the opportunity? And what's the, you know, what, what's the alternative not to do it? not to practice, not to do my best, not to learn lessons, not to have fun. Because I'll tell you, most people, when they get into situations, which I call the learning zone, where we're pushing ourselves to be uncomfortable, the only way mm -hmm. you're going to get better is to be on stage with the better. That's the only way you're gonna do it. You can sit at home and dream about it and you know live in blame, shame, and justification. But you know, as I do, it's time to lean in and it's time to, you know, realize that everybody's an imposter, right? Dave Asprey's sitting there going, man, I, I can't believe I'm with, uh, you know, Joe Dispenza. I can't believe I'm with Dr. Kim Vu. I can't believe, you know, these guys, I don't have nearly the degrees that these guys have, right? I'm just some Santa Barbara guy that, you know, had a t-shirt business and got, got involved into the mines, right? I don't know what the heck I'm talking. I guarantee you. The same way I feel, the same way as I'm touring, you know, with Deepak Chopra in, in March in Australia. The first thing that went through my mind is, why would Deepak want to be on a stage with me? Right? That's my, like, what, what do I know? That guy, like, spent years in India, you know, as a shaman himself. Like, <laughs> he, I mean, he, he knows more in his fingernail than I know uh, about what we talk about. But then I said to myself, what, what are you going to stay at home? Right? Am I going to stay at home? No. Now I'm going to lean in and get better at what I do, learn lessons and have fun. And that's what you got to do. Now, the other side of it was more interesting to me because I know that you already knew about imposter syndrome. You, you, you knew what to do. But the other side is where my expertise really uh, uh, lies. And it's what do I do when I'm there? Right? How do I create a greater neighborhood? Because my frequency is my neighborhood. Now I'm elevating my frequency. Well, this is where, um, you know, I'm really good because I see things in a different uh, way than most people when it comes to networking, because I see networking as a community. And so yeah. the question to ask yourself when you're there is, okay, who that's going to be there initially, who that's going to be there do I want in my community? Who mm -hmm. can I find to be sponsors and power sponsors that are aligned with my mission, whatever that may be? And then the second question that sets, you know, I think a differentiator in my philosophy or strategy is who will be in my community, 
by what I do there. Meaning you and I both discussed the stage theory. It, I think about not only, okay, I've done all my due diligence at who's gonna be on the stages, who's the sponsors, who's gonna be attending, who's working the exhibits, right? All, who's in the area that I can invite to meet me in between, right? All the things that I do, the who's, 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 who, who can be a sponsor, a power sponsor, but I take it a step exponentially further by saying, okay, according to all the different activities while I'm there, what am I gonna capture? How am I gonna modify it? And where am I gonna amplify it? So it's not just the 2000 people that listen to me and Dave Asprey, but it's the 2 million people today that I can amplify it to and the 200 million in its perpetual nature that are going to see the best of Dr. Kiendu, right? Mm. I, I call it the the uh, that ver the Verizon red zone. If, if, yeah. <laughs> if people aren't thinking where where is my red zone content and channel, then they don't get it because people love the red zone more than they love the game. Mm -hmm. And so, if you're not only playing the game the best you can, you know, winning Super Bowls however you can. But if you're not thinking about the red zone, you're really missing the impact that you can have. And so I know you already know the imposter stuff. I just did that for the, you know, to, to be, uh, you know, uh, to help other people, right? That may not get that and that feel that so that people realize that me, you, Dave Asprey, you know, Deepak Chopra is probably going, why would Dave Meltzer want to be on a stage with me? That guy's a sports guy, right? He's probably thinking in his head something completely different because his son Gotham works with Tom Brady and, and he's a sports guy. Uh, so, you know, you, you never know how you're participating in perception. But I think the bigger lesson is create your red zone, brother. Play the Super Bowl the best you can, but think about the red zone. Thank you so much for joining me. Incredible man, you gotta check out his programs, the Thrive State Accelerator. It's an online course that will change your life in 10 short weeks. At Dr. VMD, uh, you're gonna be able to catch this guy on every major network someday, I promise you. He'll probably even run for center like uh, Dr. Phil or whatever. <laughs> Canvoo.com, thanks so much, man. Keep up the great work and I will reach out to Dave for you. Okay, great, thanks for having me. You're awesome, thank you.